0: Hello, I'm Phil Tech 360 Creative Coach, and welcome to my vlog, where it's both my mission and my pleasure to highlight my creative journey in hopes of inspiring you, giving you specific takeaway. All that way, your journey can be at least a little bit easier. Now, before I fully dive into things, I would like to take the opportunity to invite you to subscribe if you haven't already, that we get all the various lessons and episodes that I put out right when I put them out. Thank you if you just did, and thank you if you already were. It truly does mean a lot to me, as I hope it does to you. So, one of the major kind of aspects of last week was that I was in a lot of meetings where I was literally the um, dumbest person in the room, so to speak, right? Not literally, but in the sense, you know, uh, on a project that I'm working on, I'm learning about Web3 and how to be able to better utilize it. And... That's exciting for me learning about nfts uh, just discord in general, the metaverse uh, artificial intelligence and yada 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 right um, and it's exciting to be able to be that dumbest person in the room because it's significant si- si- well it signals right I'm um that that I have a lot to learn, and that I am learning, in fact, in those rooms. And what's been nice is I'm okay to essentially, you know, ask the quote-unquote dumb question, right? I'm not afraid to let it be known that, yeah, I'm a newbie in this space, and I am trying to learn, and the reason why I'm having these conversations is so that way I can learn and strategize and move forward in the right way. Right, Um, and I think that's just a good aspect to have. You know, I think sometimes it becomes like one of these things where we have it in our youth, but as we get older, um, you know, it's that sort of stereotype of getting curmudgeonly and not wanting to change your ways. You know, I remember back in the day when uh, you know I got first involved in podcasting over a decade ago when the space was still nascent, like. The amount of stuff you had to know in order to put out a podcast was insane. Now, all I have to do is just yap into a microphone um, if I wanted to and just literally just upload it and that'd be it, right? So, the means of production has changed tremendously. And the same thing will be kind of happening with whether artificial intelligence, whether with um, NFTs and so forth, right? But right now, you have to kind of know the full ins and outs. And I'm someone who appreciates that. Like, I, I like being... Sort of not necessarily the earliest of trends because I'm certainly not not someone like that, but an overall early adapter. Because I I I like to know the inner workings of things, so even if things get easier, I still appreciate the understanding of how things function, uh, you know, on on the other side of the curtain, if you will. And that's how, as a filmmaker, for me, I've been able to very much um keep things cost effective doing them fast and efficient is because of that knowledge and figuring out okay if this is how it's supposed to work how can I like you know create a similar enough way or like combine two things to create a new thing right um, so so that's been a big aspect of it um, right and another interesting aspect you know I was listening to, an episode of the, the Gary V audio experience, and Gary V is big in the NFT space, uh, crypto world, and so forth. And one of the things that he was talking about was when he was getting into the space and you know figuring out who, who to partner with. He would his second question to people was, you know, what are you gonna? Do, how will you handle when the marketplace um, essentially dries up? You know, how will you? you know, move forward with it. And people overall didn't have a good answer for it. You know, the best that many could come up with was, well, we'll market to people. It's like, okay, well, th- 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 those aren't logistics, right? Um, th- that's just like a generic term that we all toss around of like, yeah, yeah, no, of course, we'll, uh, you know, we'll market, we'll market. And, um, you know, even, even outside, obviously, the NFT space, you know I think a lot of times when people are starting off they'll they'll just use press and uh, marketing You're like well we'll just make a viral video as if it's just easy to make a video go viral it's not so you know that's an aspect of it and what he's really getting at um obviously he wants to know the logistics of of, of people you know and how they're approaching this but but also their resolve you know real shit takes time to build it does and when I find myself in these rooms, you know, this is in relation to a project that I'm working on and stuff like that. I think a big component of it is people knowing that, like, it's not just a trend for me. It's I'm doing this because I think it, it's a it's a great tool to be able to accomplish the project that I would like to accomplish, and it also creatively allows for new things with the project, right? In that. I'm in it for the long term, you know, uh, like it was interesting. So I did a, various pitches um, last week about uh, my upcoming project, right? And, you know, I've talked about this in the past. So if you want to kind of know the specifics of how it all came about, listen to past blogs of mine. But, um, you know, the opportunity came up and so I was meeting with various people and you know, there was, there's a person that asked me like, you know, how much are you looking to raise financially to create this movie? And I said, well, you know, right now I'm aiming for 1.5 million. Um, I was like, okay, that's not bad. And I was like, listen, but at the end of the day, um, you know, whatever I end up raising, I'll figure out a way to make it, make it happen. Right. And I've always, I've talked about this in other episodes, but the idea being that, you know, if I have to piecemeal it in some sense, like where I do like maybe a trailer Um, Maybe then do the first act and so forth and use those as um, levers to get me to the next round of funding, then so be it. But overall, even if, you know, 1.5 million is the goal um, at the moment, you know, and that could change, that could go up um, if I, you know, uh, and stuff like that. But whatever the goal is, ultimately, it doesn't matter, right? Um, Because whatever amount of money I'll end up with, be like, okay, I'll find a way to utilize that, right? Like that's, you know, my long-term effect of it is I will build it no matter what. And I will put in the time to build it, knowing that, you know, real shit takes time to build. And he really appreciated that answer. He's like, I wish more filmmakers had that attitude. And I was like, well, you know, that's been my whole mantra. That's how I've made two movies thus far. Um, it's like, hey, let's let's go out and make it and we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. And it's not an arrogance, because i know i can do it and and i know you know that i can raise capital when needed to raise capital and i can also micro budget it i know i know how to as i said be efficient and cost effective um in the ways that i do stuff and a lot of times that means i'm the one doing that stuff you know and putting in my own time and effort like I, I always joke with filmmakers like I'm pretty much the only guy I know that does his own subtitles because I know how much money it, it will save me. So, you know, there's that aspect of it. Um, but yeah, every, I think, you know, it leads to a larger larger point where everyone talks about the grind and the hustle and how great it is, how how great they are at it. And it's easy to say that when things are going your way. And that's essentially the crux of Gary's question of like, you know, uh, what will you do when the well dries up? So meaning when things aren't going your way, right? And again, it's not just the NFT spaces. It's just anything, you know, anything in the creative space, anything you're doing entrepreneurially or life in general, you know, what will you do when things aren't going your way, right? Just like it's easy to preach like self-help and yada, yada, like, you know, I'm doing this and blah, blah, blah. But the real test of, any of that is how you apply it when you're up against the world, so to speak, right? So that's a major aspect of it. Um, and that's why I do the lessons that I do because, you know, it's my opportunity to share my experiences, share the tactics and mindset that has worked for me and how I've applied it. And, you know, that sort of bend, don't break sort of thing. I've certainly bent a lot of times, but I've not broken. And yeah, that's that's what we're talking about. And for me, I'm at a place now where my record does sort of speak for itself where, yeah, I'm in it for the long haul and I will find a way to get it done. Like, I'm not just about trends. I'm not just about, okay, yeah, you know, It'd be nice if I could do X, Y, and Z, but no. You know, I'm there. I'm doing it. So far, I've made, I've completed two feature films. I'm starting, I'm in development on a third. I wrote a novel. I wrote a nonfiction book. I'm writing another novel, and I'm working on another nonfiction book, which is a how-to about filmmaking, right? And it chronicles my journey of making my first one called Love Market and tries to really inspire people to, you know, both inspire and give them the tactics to make theirs. And it's been fun um, to do that. Just as a quick tangent to all of this, it's, it's been fun to work on that because one of the ways that I started it was after I had finished it, I, you know, mapped out chapters for the book and essentially... Dictated those chapters much in the same way I'm doing right now, so I can get them transcribed, knowing that you know revisions would have to happen and so forth. But it was a good way of essentially journaling those thoughts because it's been so long since I made that first movie, at least like mentally. I mean, time wise, it's been that movie came out um, in 2020 at the before the pandemic, but um, yeah, 2020 and you know now we're coming up on 2023 so you know almost three years give or take but in that it feels like a lifetime ago simply because now I've made my second movie and you know learned so much just from that experience and you know one wishes to put some of that knowledge in there but you just kind of need to provide the baby steps right um and so yeah it's just been fun to sort of go down memory lane if you will with that first project through all of this and um you know, fingers crossed by the end of 2023 that, uh, this book will be out in the market for filmmakers, um, and people like, but yeah, you know, so, um, so I've been working on that as well, but yeah, you know, just that slow, like, you know, in- slow incremental progress consistently over time. That's what I'm about. And that's what yielded my results. You know, people say I'm prolific. Well. You know, uh, in my mind, not prolific enough, but, you know, it, as long as I'm making progress, then I'm okay. Um, going back to the pitches, one thing I did want to know um, that's been interesting. Um, I remember someone, like, the whole reason why the pitches happened was because, you know, people had seen my second movie, A Bogota Trip, and, you know, wanted to meet with me. And that was great. And it was interesting, you know, I was talking with one person and they were like, hey, so like, you know, who, like tell, tell me a little bit about the journey essentially. And you know, I did and I, I was, you know, I kind of made the comparison like, you know, a lot of times like what I've been working on is very much the Rob Rodriguez style of Rebel Without a Crew. Obviously I have some people, um, you know, they're with me and they're very integral and I couldn't deal without them, but we're a small band of misfits, if you will, right? Um, And then it was asked, like, so, you know, who who edited the movie? And I was like, I did. And I knew exactly where the question was ultimately headed or what the thought behind it was. And and it's interesting when you can anticipate that and kind of bring it to the forefront because what the person was essentially asked, you know, trying to get at um, was a lot of times when filmmakers, especially novice ones um, or just aspiring ones, let's say, um, not that I am that, but, but, you know, one could lump me within that category or ideology Let's say, you know, they get too precious about their stuff and they don't uh, they don't cut and, um, you know, kill your babies, as it were, which is a terrible term. But the idea is, like, you know, you want... You want, whether it's writing, whether it's, um, you know, a movie, like, maximum effect in the shortest amount of time, right? Like, that's s- storyteller's goal or it should be, you know, their goal. And so I knew... That's what the crux of this question was because most most directors who edit their own movies um, can't do that. They're too blinded by uh, the love that they have for a particular scene, particular moment, and it just ends up being bloated because of that fact. I was like, no, no, I'm not precious at all. You know, I do test screenings. Um, I have good collaborators with me who tell me when things drag, and you know, um, yeah. Ninety-nine out of hundred times, I will listen to them. But and, and you know that one time out of a hundred, I will kind of, you know, hold my ground if I really love some something. But uh, but I'm not overly precious with anything, and that's why the movie is a, a very straightforward ninety-three minutes. Um, when you know other filmmakers might have made it two hours, right? So because I have the audience in mind and I want them to have a good experience and, you know, enjoy the movie and not have it drag and so forth. And so far that's been working, right? So, and, and, you know, that was the answer that that person appreciated. And more so, I think they also appreciated that I knew where the question was headed or what the underpinnings of it were. Um, So yeah, it was, you know, um, now this week, I've got to kind of follow up with the various people that I did meet with and, All that stuff. So that's on the to-do list. Um, Yeah, but uh, overall, very good experience. And you know, this wasn't in person. It was uh, very interesting, right? When when we talk about the metaverse, like, um, yeah, you know, I was I essentially kind of logged on, and you're in this like coffee shop, you know, waiting for the meeting to start, and then you get taken into this virtual office, and you know, there's person behind the desk. You see their image. Um, And then we're kind of in the chair and it's, it's very wild. Um, And I don't know, not that I have a preference of what's better or worse. Um, Obviously, like that was the opportunity. Um, This is how we were meeting. And so, you know, you'll take it. Um, And I thought even though it was virtual, um, it was engaging. Um, I thought it was meaningful and things of that nature, right? So that's all I can ask for, right? Um, another thing, um, kind of shifting gears slightly is turning routine into ritual. Um, this is a notion from a podcast that I work on called yoga girl conversations from the heart. Um, and I've been thinking a lot about that because I think (coughs) when we think of routine, excuse me, by the way, when we think of routine, we think of, mundane or chores and tasks just just these menial things that we do over and over Uh, and then therefore not they're not significant um, we're not present life just kind of passes us by so to speak right Um, but a lot of times you know the things that we do we want to create routines because it systematizes how we operate right you know Just boring things, let's say, like cleaning your house, cooking, um, laundry, you know, brushing your teeth, eating breakfast, like whatever it may be, just these things that we have to do over and over, you know, whether on a daily basis, a weekly basis, or just a monthly basis, whatever. But turning, you know, giving them some sort of, not that they are mystical and spiritual, but, but we can approach them as such. And, 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 and create them, not just be routines, but be more like rituals. And then we pay attention more to the moments, you know? And how can we have essentially fun doing those things and then life becomes that much more enjoyable, you know? Um, people, it's funny how many people argue with me on this point. But, you know, through therapy, one of the big discoveries was like, hey, if you want to live longer, just be, just be present in every moment. Like, yeah, but you know, like, and it's like, well, majority of people, like, fine, someone might live to be 110, but if they're not present in any of these those moments, how, how much have they lived versus somebody that like, yeah, fine. Maybe tragically someone lives to be like 25 years old, but if they really like lived life to the fullest and were present in every moment, and I'm not saying they have to go skydiving or whatever, but like truly just were present in those moments And, you know, let's say in this case, as I'm arguing, turn ritual or turn routine into ritual, then that to me is a far more fulfilled life than someone just because the longevity of their life is long, right? So you increase your life just by being present and turning routine into ritual. That's essentially a way to do that, Um, a tactic, right? And so... Mm -hmm. I've been really kind of considering that and would implore you to do the same, right? So, yeah, there's that. The last thing that um, I just want to touch upon is, you know, when you finish a movie, as I have now, um, it goes to QC, quality control. And quality control is a very interesting process because... You know, you essentially put your movie through this machine and, you know, it, it'll flag anything and everything it feels is, a, uh, you know, a, a problem, right? Now, what's what's been interesting is, you know, a lot of times that also includes artistic choices, right? Um, gets flagged as not passing the mustard, so to speak. Um, and so, you know, this is essentially the second time I'm going through the process Um, This time it's a little bit different um, because the deliverables um, that I need to have are a little bit more meticulous. Um, And deliverables meaning, you know, the movie in certain formats, um, having it, having certain um, assets along with it as far as sound and visuals and blah, 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 right? Um, Just the, the nitty gritty boring stuff, if you will. The technical details. Um, And so I'm in the process of uh, quality controlling it. And, um, you know, I I will definitely kind of do a more official follow up and um, walk people through this because I think a lot of filmmakers don't know this process. But I just wanted to kind of note it um, because I, you know, one of my friends is about to enter his first QC phase of it. And yeah, it's an interesting process. And much like with anything, if you're kind of um, not aware of it, then it can shock you, right? Because I was telling him like, hey, listen, here's how it overall works. And because it goes through the computer, I can tell you like, you know, these moments in your film will probably be rejected. Now, does that mean that it's not good or whatever? No, it means those were the artistic, literally the artistic choices that you made but just the computer is gonna interpret them as incorrect, right? Um, so, just giving you a forewarning so you don't like, you know, hang yourself after you get the QC report. Um, an example specifically of something like this is, um, you know, if you have, let's say, handheld footage, um, it might know like handheld footage is shaky. And it's like, okay, have you seen the born identity? Because how the hell is that ever gonna pass? Um, you know, QC, if handheld was shaky, like that's all it is, is, you know, especially the action scenes, all handheld shaky cam, right? So, you know, that's a choice. Um, also, sometimes, you know, you might have a window that's overexposed um, within a frame. It's like, I've seen literally Hollywood multi, you know, like $200 million budget movies where something's overexposed. Of course, again, like that's, some of it's an artistic choice. Um you know, the computer flags that stuff. Right. So just knowing how to approach this and, you know, being able to then navigate once the report comes in of, okay, what do you truly need to fix um, versus not. Right. And yeah, like I said, I'm going to kind of dive into greater aspects of that soon, but, um, but just wanted to kind of talk about it as an introduction here. Um, by the way, speaking of my journey and uh, just things in general, um, on my Patreon page, patreon.com slash I post various behind the scenes aspects, um, give you some insights like, you know, I, I was talking about the pitch deck in this one. Um, while I posted the various um, phases of the pitch deck and like, you know, even just including my notes to the graphic designer and so forth. So you can kind of see how I create a lot of this stuff, um, which has been interesting, right? So if you're curious, about that aspect of it, that's on my Patreon. Also, it's a a chance for us to connect, you know, more directly. And I do monthly Q and A's, you know, offer up other um, fun stuff as well. And the good news is there's just one tier, there's just one price. It's $10 a month for for everybody, keeping it very simple um, and affordable. So, you know, um, that's available to you as well, if if you so choose to. And um, this Saturday, December 17th I'm having a Q&A right so for for the month of December that's coming up so if you're interested in that go sign up on Patreon but anyway thank you so much as always truly appreciate you um, and hope to see you next time.